A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Winter Olympics is just a few days away. But this year, we're just as likely to hear this. There are no human rights in China, and the IOC cannot reward the Olympic Games to China again. As we are to hear this. Before the Games have even begun, they've already been mired in controversy, with several countries taking a stand to highlight China's human rights record. The Biden administration will not send any diplomatic or official representation to the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics and Paralympic Games. There will be a diplomatic boycott of the, uh, of the Winter Olympics in Beijing. No ministers are expected to attend. So it is not surprising, therefore, uh, that Australian government officials uh, would therefore not be going uh, to China for those games. The politicians might be staying away, but for the athletes and journalists attending, there are still a host of fears. Beijing basically says, hey, you're here, you're in China, right? You have to follow the Chinese laws. And if you should do something kind of wayward, you're going to be punished. I keep on joking to my wife that I don't know when I'm <laughs> going to see her again, but hopefully... <laughs> you could be gone a while. Yeah, hopefully that remains a funny joke. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the Beijing Winter Olympics. Should China be left out in the cold. My name's Didi Tang. I'm the Beijing correspondent for the Times of London and have been working for the Times for coming up, I think, five years now. And Didi, in Beijing at the moment, you know, we're about a week away from, from the Olympics starting. What is the atmosphere like? I think here in Beijing, the feeling on the ground is people already cannot wait for it to be over. Oh, not for it to start. <laughs> so well, I was here in Beijing in 2008, and then this time it really feels very differently. I think the biggest part of it is because it's happening in the middle of the pandemic and also in the middle of the surge of the Omicron cases. And true or not, people here, they tend to blame the games for the restrictions that they must experience here, the restrictions on the movement, right? Because uh, the games will start on February the 4th. And that's like China, people here are still celebrating the Chinese New Year. And also in Beijing, there's new rule, which I think is upsetting quite a lot of people. It's like you cannot get cold medicine, you cannot get medicine for fever, right? If you want to get those medicines, you had to register. And also for anyone who has purchased those medicines in the past like 14 days, now they're required to get tested. Otherwise, they won't have a green health code. Without a green health code, you won't be able to say, you know, go to the supermarket or go to the shopping center or, you know, get on the public transportation. 
And plus, on top of this, you won't be able to go to the games, right? So you're kind of sacrificing a lot for nothing because of the organizers of the Beijing Games. They have decided not to sell the tickets to the general public. I mean, how different is this to 2008, the last time Beijing hosted the Olympics? I mean, would it normally be something people really welcome? Do they get excited by the Olympics? Yeah, I think in 2008, actually, people they were genuinely they were excited about it, and I think you know at the time there was this you know the Olympic spirit, and actually I even I personally thought in 2008 China was able to elevate the Olympic spirit to something higher, you know, something very inspiring for the whole nation because at the time in 2008 the communist belief had sort of had gone bankrupt. People did not believe in communism. And the party, you know, what the party was preaching at the time, and then you know, people they were going after money, they were going after fame and fortune, right? And the actually Olympic Games give them something else. There was something other than money and the fame.、Mm. So I thought that was actually very uplifting. I'm Owen Slot. I'm the chief sports writer on the Times. And I am soon to leave for Beijing to cover the Winter Olympics. Owen, what are you expecting it to be like? These are obviously Winter Olympics, unlike any other. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What do you think it'll be like when you get there? There's a lot to get your head round. For instance, just when we arrive at Beijing Airport, we're told that we're going to be greeted people, you know, all in the plastic gear and the sort of hazmat suits. Yeah, no, it's going to be life in. Life in a hazmat suit—that's sort of <laughs> going to be the soundtrack to the games. There's so many apps and forms and stuff I have to fill in. I've been filling in my、um, temperature for the last eight days. You have to submit that before you get there. Endless bits and pieces before you're allowed in. So I'm convinced I'm going to arrive there and be turned away at the gate because I've filled in one thing slightly wrong or haven't <laughs> managed to download something or whatever. And then we, as in the, the media and really anyone. Part of what they call the Olympic family, so athletes, coaches, competitors, administrators, anyone working around the Olympics, we're in something called the closed loop. And so once you get there, you, you meet your new hazmat friends,、um, <laughs> and then you you get temperature test, PCR test, and then you're put on a, a bus back to your hotel. And from that moment, you're in the closed loop, and you're not allowed outside it. So for my 19 days in Beijing, I think. I will only be allowed from my hotel Olympic transport into other Olympic venues like the press center or the Olympic sports sites, and then back to my hotel. So,、uh, if I say got a cab to Tiananmen Square to do some tourism, or maybe walked out of the hotel and went to a local bar, I would be breaking the closed loop, and then I think I get twenty-one days isolation on for that. It's not. It's not a sin <laughs> worth, worth committing, and obviously they'll be able to track you because of. Phones and everything, so they'll know where everyone is the whole time. My biggest fear is testing positive there because they can keep you for months. I think until you get a series of negative tests. I keep on joking to my wife that I don't know when I'm <laughs> going to see her again, but hopefully you could be gone a while. Yeah, hopefully that remains a funny joke. I mean, there, there are sort of levels of weirdness there. There's the pandemic, which means it's not going to be very sociable like a normal Olympics. You won't. See anything of Beijing probably, and there won't be as much socialising. Is there also just the peculiarities of dealing with the Chinese state system, though, because they are very good at sort of watching everything you do? 
Yes, I mean, as an employee of News UK at the Times, I've been told I can't take my phone and I can't take my laptop and I have to be issued with a burner phone and a clean laptop so that all my information and data can't be accessed by my lovely hosts. And that's the case for the, the British Olympic Association who have advised their athletes of these dangers. I mean, I, I think it's just astonishing that the International Olympic Committee can sign up to a, an Olympics in a country where you can't use your own phone, but that's just me. It gives me great pleasure to once again share with you the ardent hope of the Chinese people for hosting the Olympic Winter Games. Take us back to the moment it was announced that the Winter Olympics would be held in Beijing. What was the reaction? What were their fears about how this would play out? I think the IOC really had nowhere else to turn. It wasn't a great big bidding contest with lots of nations around the world saying, you must come here. There were a number of nations that dropped out. And for for a while, it looked like Norway were going to host it. But Norway dropped out of it. And I think one of the things about the Olympics is increasingly governments and their um, voting populations are aware of the cost of the Olympics and value for money. And, you know, people are, are asking that question far more. And And obviously, there are a limited number of nations that can stage a winter games. And so a number of potential bidding cities dropped out. And then eventually it came down to a head-to-head between Beijing and Almaty in Kazakhstan. So that that wasn't a kind of... Just imagine if we were going... That would have worked out worse. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's not a great either-or, is it? Obviously, lots of other countries who wanted to host the Winter Olympics dropped out of the race. So... Perhaps it wasn't surprising that China won. But what was the mood like in Beijing when the announcement came? An explosion of jubilation mixed with relief for the Beijing team on learning they had won the right to host the 2022 Winter Olympics and become the first country to host both the Summer and Winter Games. In 2015, you know, when China won the bid to host the Games, I think there was some kind of excitement. For one thing, you know, Beijing is the first city in the world to host both Winter Games and the Summer Games. No other city has done that other than Beijing. So, you know, there was a good amount of pride in doing that. Look, you know, we are capable of hosting, you know, the mega events. And I think there was a degree of awareness at the time, like, you know, some of the the Western cities, you know, they were dropping out because of the cost, because of the public opposition. And here, those were not issues. So the cost will be a fraction of, you know, what it costs Russia to host the Sochi Games in 2014, right? Beijing is repurposing lots of the venues from 2008. And I was able to go up to Zhang Jiakou, the co-host city of the Games, and I was really impressed. They are borrowing a ski resort. You know, it's an existing commercial ski resort and it has really nice slopes. I was just doing a story about why Beijing wants to host these games, whether it's going to improve its public image or not. But then there's something else, a more pragmatic reason for China to host these games is you're not looking at this very short period of time when the money probably doesn't come in. Beijing is looking at the longer term, like snow and ice sports, 
are not very popular in China. So they're using this one as an opportunity to get people involved. They want people to start to to get on the ice, to get on the slopes, and they're hoping to jumpstart a whole new industry in China, like the skiing, the ice skating, to make it something like become part of life. And this is an unusual games in that before it's even started, it's become quite controversial. Quite a few countries have now sort of boycotting it politically, diplomatically. Talk us through that. How has that happened? What are the main issues that they're worried about? Well, the issues are the sort of shopping list, really, of human rights abuses, I think, primarily. Freedom of speech, the treatment of the, the Uyghur population, of which we know very little because it's so hard to access any information about them, the cataclysmic destruction of democracy in Hong Kong, etc. You know, there's, there's so much to it. And on a sporting stage, the, the name Peng Shui obviously comes into it hugely. Now to the growing concern over the whereabouts and safety of Chinese tennis player Peng Shui. The former world number one doubles champion disappeared from public view after accusing an ex-vice premier of China of sexual assault. You mentioned Peng Shui. What are you hearing from athletes at the moment? Is it something they are talking about? Has there been a lot of angst about what happened to this tennis player? There's quite a lot of noise that's still coming from the Australian Open. The hashtag where is Peng Shui is made it onto T-shirts that are being sold and worn by fans. Peng Shui, where is Peng Shui? And now there were fans that they had where is Peng Shui on their T-shirt and they were told to cover it up. In a U-turn, officials at the Australian Open have now said that wearing T-shirts in support of absent Chinese player Peng Shui will be allowed. And it's, it's something that people remain very concerned about because Peng Shui has, since she went public with her accusation of uh, sexual assault, has largely disappeared from public view. And Didi, what's the latest on the, the tennis player Peng Shui? Has she been seen again in China? Are people still concerned about her or yeah, has that he, been forgotten? Like here in China, people, they don't know what has happened to Peng Shui. So it's not even an issue here because of censorship. You know, the media, we're talking about the state media, right? There's a very strict vetting process. The mm. control is quite tight. And then, of course, there's an army of censors for the Chinese social media to make sure something like this won't be mentioned. And Owen, has there been a lot of angst about what happened to this tennis pair? Are you expecting her to make an appearance at the opening ceremony or something? I think the opening ceremony would be a bit crass. <laughs> um, the opening ceremony, you sort of celebrate the great things of your nation, so that wouldn't be the time. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if she appears on the side of an ice rink or something and looks very happy and an appearance that would make a kind of statement that says, don't worry, everyone, I'm fine. What happens if athletes do protest while they're in China? But first... I'm Josh Glancy, Special Correspondent for The Sunday Times, and it's my job to make the newspaper as interesting and entertaining as possible, whether reporting on British drinking culture or interviewing anyone from Joan Collins to Malcolm Gladwell to the class of succession... I love my job because I get to meet some of the most interesting people around and then share it with everyone else. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. So please subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
And, Didi, you say people don't really know about the case of Peng Shui in China because the media is so controlled. Mm-hmm. Are people aware that there is this big political boycott taking place of the Olympic Games? That one, actually, people, they know about the political boycotts by the US, by the UK, Australia, and in Canada, right? Those boycotts are happening at a time when China, at least Beijing feels right, the West, the US-led West, doesn't want to see a stronger China. They don't like the rise of China to challenge dominance of the US as the world power. So the narration goes something like this, right? You know, the West is jealous of us. We are growing, you know, we're developing, we're becoming stronger. Maybe one day we're going to become number one and the US doesn't like it. So the US is getting all all of its friends to contain China, to do nasty things to China. So that's the narrative here in China. China has also been very quick to brush off allegations of human rights violations against the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang province. Disturbing evidence has emerged that China is forcing women to be sterilised or fitted with contraceptive devices in the province of Xinjiang. Ambassador, can I ask you why people are kneeling, blindfolded and shaven and being led to trains in modern China? I do not know where you get this videotape. Right, and then we're talking about Xinjiang. If we're talking about Xinjiang, there's very two different perceptions, you know, in China versus, you know, outside China. Outside China, I think the human rights groups and uh, the governments, they're saying China is doing something amounting to genocide, you know, to the, the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. But here in China, I think people, they say, oh, look, they're being heavily influenced by the terrorism. You know, what we're doing is to fight the terrorism, no different from what the U.S. has done post 9-11. And then you see, we're giving them free education so they will be free of those like extreme thoughts. And then, you know, we're helping people in Xinjiang, right? The rest of the world is boycotting products out of Xinjiang. People in China here, they're supporting Xinjiang. They say, okay, if the West is not buying the cotton produced in, the, in Xinjiang, we will do it. And then the Chinese clothing retailers, they are sourcing the cotton from Xinjiang. So there's a very different perception here. And here people, they think they have been, China has been wrongly targeted and, you know, by the, the, the Western governments. Again, you know, it fits into the narrative of, you know, the U.S. is using human rights to contain China. So human rights actually is being used as some sort of a ruse, excuse, right? And as they, they can say, oh, because human rights, we're, so going to, you know, crack, we're going to crack down on you. We know we're not going to do business with you. So China, the, the Chinese people, they feel like, huh. We, they feel like they have been wronged. And under this kind of narrative, they feel like they need to unite, right, against this common enemy from the outside. And Didi, how have China said they're going to deal with people who speak out or, or attempt to protest at the Games? So Beijing basically says, hey, you're here, you're in China, right? You have to follow the Chinese laws. And if mm. you should do something kind of wayward, you're going to be punished, including being expelled from the Games. And we also know the charter, the Olympic charter, and then to say, look, the Games should be as apolitical as possible. It's not the venue for you to make political statements. However, the Olympic charter also states that athletes have freedom of speech at the Olympics. They're not on the field of play or on the podium. However, in media conferences and interviews and appearances, athletes are free to voice their views as long as it's within the rules. So I think this is something actually everyone's very curious to see. If anyone is going to speak out, 
And is anyone going to risk their professional career to speak out? You know, there was a forum by the Human Rights Watch advising athletes not to speak out, just because the consequences may be too much to bear.、Oh. <laughs> I want to know if someone has the guts to do that. The foreign, you know, athletes. If any, I mean, Chinese athletes won't do something like that, right? And the foreign athletes, once they come to China, if they will have the guts to do that, and what will be the consequences? And also, you know, it won't surprise me if something like this should be suppressed. Really? So people just wouldn't hear about it? Yeah, just people. You know, just depending how that happens, right? You know, of course,、yeah. if the foreign media, the international media, should be there to witness it, right? And then it's going to blow up. Everybody would know. But what if? Before anyone should know, it gets stopped. You know, just I have been here as a as a reporter for、uh, for coming for ten years, right? And sometimes, like things happen so quickly, and by the time we get there, it's gone. And I mean, you've attended a lot of Olympics before and Winter Olympics. You know, we often hear the argument that by bringing the event to countries like. China or Qatar, you know, you can try to influence the government to be more mindful of human rights, for example. I mean, given this example, do, do you believe it, or, or do you think we've sort of got to the stage now where we're kind of, you know, partly because not many countries can afford to put on big events anymore, we're kind of implicitly giving them a green light. You know, we're all looking away. We're making small protests, but we're allowing them to to get the credibility of hosting a big event like that. I, I think we are allowing them that. I mean, how much credibility on the world stage are they are they receiving? Well, I don't I don't know how much credibility on the world stage China will, will receive because it, this this will be talked about. But at the end of February or, or in March, when the Paralympics is done, also everyone will pack up and leave, and there might have been a, a, a bit of shouting and a bit of noise, and then. Nothing will change. I mean, there won't have been any difference made to Chinese human rights. Do you think, you know, given that there are these big boycotts from huge, significant countries who would normally be attending, do you think it'll put the Olympic authorities off having the Olympics in in cities which might be controversial in the future? Oh yeah, this is an interesting question, right? I was listening to this like speech. Organized by the FCCC, the Foreign Correspondents Club in China. So the argument actually is very interesting. If you're looking at the public opinion towards China after 2008, China had a pretty successful games, but it really did not help to improve the image of China. Just given the spotlight the games will, will have, the rights group they're very good at taking advantage of the publicity of the games. To call attention to, as you say, the rights record in the host country, we see that in the case of China, and we're seeing that one in the case of Qatar, right, for the World Cup. Another argument can be made is engagement. So hosting the 2008 games really did not help China to improve its rights. Now we can see after 14、yeah. years between 2008 and now, right? And at the time there were all kinds of promises. Beijing by hosting the games, it's going to improve its, and then that did not happen. So this is how much IOC wants to make this issue a real issue, or at the same time, like who else is going to host those games? And do we、yeah. want to engage, you know, a country with 1.4 billion people? You know, that's like chunk of the population. So what are we going to do? You know, I mean. Whether you like it or not, you know, Olympic games are very political. Now you're confronting China, right? And I still don't think that's going to work. <laughs> so I don't know what's the answer here. How are you going to do it? How much teeth, 
you know, the IOC wants to have in forcing the whole city to follow certain rules, or is that really important? Or you're going to be happy a city is willing to do it, and you know the money will still come in for the games, right? You know, the as I say, game also is a huge business. Yeah, I don't think they find this easy at all. And as as discussed with these Olympics, there wasn't a lot of choice. You know, it was Kazakhstan or China. So I know that there's there's a considerable relief that the next Winter Olympics is going to Milan Cortina in Italy. And then the next summer games are going to Paris and then Los Angeles and then Brisbane. So they can sort of get out of Beijing in a few weeks' time and breathe a sigh of relief, if you like. I won't be surprised once the games should start. And if it go well, if the Chinese athletes should be winning the gold medals, and even like silver or bronze medals in those like, the ice and the snow sports, I think things can change. People... People, they're well, kind it might of forgetful. Still be yeah, a they success, say, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> if you know, if Team China should do pretty well, and all of a sudden, I think people will get excited, and then I think people oh, here, there's already kind of getting excited about opening ceremony, right? If you remember the 2008, the opening ceremony, that was spectacular. Yes, yeah, so it's going to yeah. be directed by the same director, and if it should start with a splash, maybe people, the public opinion is going to change. And just finally, Didi. Is is that your daughter we can hear in the background? I think it's either my daughter or my boy. I'm sorry. Because the <laughs> no, door... don't worry. Mm-hmm. And will, will they be watching? Oh, will they be watching the games? I think I'll have them to watch the, the opening ceremony. I think the opening ceremony probably will be very interesting. I think there's something, you know, I want them to watch. Maybe some of the sports events, we'll see. Because the, their father is going to the closed loop. And so the dad will be there, you know, to cover the events. Maybe we want to see if we can catch that on TV. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Chief Sports Writer for The Times, Owen Slot, and The Times Beijing correspondent, Didi Tang. You can read more of their work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producers today were Ben Mitchell and Asia Fuchs. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening.